for listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now present an encore presentation of Carmelite Conversations. Well, welcome. Welcome to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. I'm Frances Harry, and so happy to be with you. And Mark is not available tonight, but we do have a very special guest that I will introduce in just a minute. We're going to be talking about Blessed Mary of Jesus Crucified. And she is a discalced Carmelite nun and a mystic of the church and very extraordinary life. And I have a special guest who is going to share a lot about her with us. In fact, her feast day was yesterday, August the 25th. Um, and she shares something in common with the feast day of today that the Carmelite world is celebrating. Today's feast day is the transverberation of the heart of St. Teresa of Jesus, who is also known as St. Teresa of Avila, the mother of our discalced Carmelites. And so this transverberation of the heart is the piercing of the heart by an angel with the love of God. And it's such a beautiful um, grace. And... This um, Blessed Mary of Jesus crucified also had this great grace. And a lot of people don't even know about this. And so we are going to be talking about um, this extraordinary life today. And, um, you know, she's also a founder, like Teresa Vava. She founded a convent in Mangalore, India and in Bethlehem, and in Nazareth. And so it's so wonderful that we're going to have an opportunity to learn about her. In fact, we're going to start with an opening prayer like we usually do. And this prayer comes from Blessed Mary of Jesus Crucified Herself. Let us begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Holy Spirit, inspire me. Love of God, consume me. By the true way, lead me. Mary, my mother, look upon me. With Jesus, bless me. From all evil, from all illusion, from all danger, preserve me. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, at this time I'd like to introduce you to my special friend and colleague in the OCDS, the Secular Order of Discalced Carmelites, Tammy Jutton. Tammy, are you there? Yes, Francis. Oh, great. Well, Tammy, how about introducing yourself to our audience? Tell a little bit about yourself. I'm so happy to be here tonight and to share um, our life of Our Lady, um, Little Miriam. And I guess what really brought me to Carmelites is this great love and desire I have for prayer and fasting. And through yes. this, I realized that the more that you fast and pray, the closer you become to Jesus. So as you become closer and closer, you start desiring this need for penance for your own sins, for the sins of your family, for the sins of the world. And so as you're practicing this, um, I was able to see some of these wonderful movies of the Carmelite saints on EWTN, and I would just have tears of joy over their love and determination to serve God with their whole hearts for all He had done for them. And I began seeing that the same love had taken hold of my own heart, and that nothing was more precious in my eyes than how the Lord manifests His love and how He takes hold of these little ones. So as I began seeing this and loving all these Carmelite saints, especially this little Arab that you're introducing tonight, um, 
I began to see that the Carmelite spirituality is all about prayer and relationship with Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, and that is what I love about the Carmel. Only through prayer I realized am I strong, and only when I allow God to work in me and rely solely on Him, doing His will, do I live the beauty that God has destined for me. And so this is what I really desire, and um, these saints are a wonderful example for us to live by. So I'm so excited to hear what you're going to introduce tonight. <laughs> well, I, I think you've started us off beautifully by um, starting talk about love and, and this humility and this penance, because um, that's groundbreaking, you know, foundational for our Carmelites. Um, let me tell our audience a little bit about the background of Mary of Jesus Crucified. Um, you did refer to her as the Little Arab, and she has some other nicknames. Um, can you re- recall a few of the other nicknames, Tammy? Yes, she was the Patroness of Peace, the Lily of Palestine. She's also known as the Little Flower of the East. We have St. Therese of the West, but she's also known for the East, and she um, was born there in Galilee and um, founded a couple of the foundations of Carmel there in Bethlehem. I think also Jerusalem, if I can remember right. Nazareth, yeah, Nazareth, and then also Mangalore, India. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, so here we have a... um, a little nobody is how she referred to herself, but certainly in, in our eyes, reading about her, she's not a little nobody. She's a great mystic in, in Carmel and in the, in the church. And she's also known as the Apostle of the Holy Spirit because of her great devotion to the Holy Spirit. But I wanted our, our um, audience to know that um, she was born on the 5th of January, so that's the eve of the Epiphany, in um, 1846, so she was born before the little flower, before Therese, the little flower. And she was born in Abilene, Galilee, which is uh, between Haifa and Nazareth in Galilee. So it's in the Holy Land. And so here we have somebody who actually lived and breathed, you know, the land where Jesus and Mary and Joseph were. And um, she's also Lebanese. She's of the Melkite rite of the Catholic Church. And in fact, the liturgical language for the Mass that's used in this rite is Arabic. So we're having all kinds of connections with um, all those who are Arabic, Palestinians. Um, a lot of Muslims were in her area. A lot of Christians were in the area. Uh, of course, the, the Catholics. And so we're going to hear a lot about those connections as we talk about our life. So I, I want to start off, instead of doing a, a, a long biographical sketch, Tammy, I wanted you to share with um, everyone what most inspires you about Blessed Mary of Jesus Crucified. The first thing that really inspires me about her is her love for God. Um, to me, that is one of her greatest attributes. She relied totally on God. Ever since she was around five, um, probably even before that, she lost her parents, I believe, around the age of three. And what I found just amazing was her father, and I think all families should do this. And I know of some that do do it, but I think we need more to even do this. Is When her father was dying, he, um, he knew that she was already devoted to Our Lady because they had already lost 12 sons. And when they lost these 12 sons, the mother had begged the father to take a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. 
and they actually went on foot, which was about 170 kilometers. And yes. they had promised the Blessed Mother, if they would grace her with the girl, that they would name her after Mary. And yes. so she was granted this um, great desire for this child, and they had Miriam that was born. But when her father passed away, he um, also wanted to dedicate her to St. Joseph. And so as he was dying, he told St. Joseph, she already belongs to Mary, so you, will you take her as your own and help her through life? And so he dedicated her to Joseph also. So I just thought that that was really awesome. But this love that she had, oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. Go ahead. Um, This love that she had, I took one of the quotes out of her writings that just shows how much she loved God. She says, I felt a great desire for God. I sought Him with all the power of my soul. I united myself to the whole of creation that it might praise Him with me. I was like a little child that runs and runs towards its father. The thought came to me to ask Him for many things, but first I spoke to Him with with terms of endearment. And so that was like her number one thing was to always approach Him with this great love. Yes, and that is something all of us can do too, an imitation of her. Approach God with this great love. And, you know, also, I like how you pointed out that her father dedicated her to St. Joseph and asked for St. Joseph's help. You know, and, and here when they were praying for the birth of this child, you know, they lost 12 in a row. I mean, that's that's very painful. And here they went to the grotto of the nativity. So you, you already got the Holy Family involved in the first moments of, of her life and even before she was conceived. And, you know, I, I just think that is so beautiful. So that we too can consecrate our children to the Blessed Mother and to St. Joseph and ask for their help, you know, to lead us closer to Jesus. So that is very beautiful. And so, Let's talk a little bit about her charity for others then, because we know her for great love for God. So uh, what can you tell us about her love for others? Well, she was a very um, simple soul, and the thing that she really loved to do was she really loved to find those families that really needed help. Um, she wanted to find the poorest of the poor, and she didn't have a family, so she would um, go to the churches, and the priests there would find her a family that she could be a servant to. And so she wanted to find those that really needed her help. She only had one change of clothes, and she would sell all her money, or sell any, or she would save up all her money um, and help those families that needed it. And one family in particular that she went to um, had a lot of illness, and they needed some funds to help them along. And so she sold what she had, and she gave to that family, and she kept just enough money. And I just thought this was so beautiful because it really shows her love for Our Lady, is she kept just enough money to light her little oil lamp by her icon of Mary. So she had an icon of Mary, and she had her little oil lamp, and she had her one change of clothes, and everything else went to other people. She always was giving. And um, not just in helping with money and things like this, but she also had a great love for praying for the souls in purgatory. And... um, and she had kind of a vision I, I, uh, of Jesus and the rays coming from his hands that, f- that fell on the poor souls, right? Yes. Yes, that prayer I mentioned a minute ago where she was saying that she spoke with these terms of endearment. 
she would continue on once she spoke to Jesus with those terms, and then she would pray for the souls in purgatory, and some of her exact words of what she had prayed was, I prayed to him for the souls in purgatory. Jesus then became more radiant, and I saw rays of light coming from his hands, rays of graces that fell on these poor souls. It seemed that Jesus had a great need to pour them out and that he gave them with eagerness and abundance. Then after this, her prayer would move towards the sinners, and she continued on saying, After that, I prayed for sinners, and Jesus did the same thing as for the souls in purgatory. What a joy to see this love, this mercy of the Lord. And then she would. And then she prayed for priests and religious. Yes, yes. So then she would pray for priests and religious, but it was so sad when I was reading this about her because um, she kind of got really saddened as she prayed for the priest because in this response she writes, but when I wanted to pray to him for priests, for me and women religious, the rays that were coming down from his hands went back and disappeared. My heart was in sadness and terrible anguish, for I am among the number of religious. I heave some sighs, I burst into sobs. Each time I think of what I saw, I cannot keep from crying. How culpable we are. We ought to be the consolation of Jesus. And so this really, um, when I read this, it makes me desire even more to pray for these priests and religious because this is something that Jesus was giving her, and I believe that Jesus was drawing her to pray, you know, fervently for these souls and for our ministers of our church, because they're the ones that bring all of us to Jesus. And just think, if if they weren't praying, where we would be today? Because this was in in the what the eighteen the late eighteen hundreds when she was praying like this, yeah. and then we know that you know in the nineteen fifties or so things started to fall apart. So, uh, praise God for all those prayers. Um, and and as Carmelites, we have a mission, particularly to pray for priests. So this just kind of accents that mission. And so, like Blessed Miriam or Mary of Jesus Crucified, we. We pray for souls in purgatory, we pray for sinners, and we pray for priests. And so, you know, those were three concrete examples of that. Now let's, let's talk a little bit about her virtue of humility. You, you mentioned a little bit about, um, wanting to be hidden and, um, you know, give to the poor and the charity. So let's, let's talk a little bit about her humility. One of the things that really struck me about her was she didn't want to be um, really well cared for. There was one particular family that she went to live with, and as she was living with them, they cared for her so well, she didn't think she could live her religious life in this house. And then she found out this family that was treating her so good was a distant cousin, and Mm -hmm. she asked if she could move to another household because she wanted to remain unknown. She didn't want people to know who she was, and she just wanted to be able to live that that poor lifestyle for Jesus and to offer up her sufferings for others. Yeah, she didn't want special treatment, unlike many people today. I mean, can you imagine um, you having it really good and saying, oh, I think I'll give this up so I can have it rougher. Um, Yeah. And that just goes to show her heroic humility, her heroic uh, virtues. Yes. There was now, another... there's a story. 
Yeah, there's another story I want you to tell. You and I talked about this before, about another connection with the little flower, Therese. Even though Therese follows her, um, there's another connection with Our Lady and the smile. Can, and, and we know that little flower, Therese, had a, a, a miraculous encounter with Our Lady through her smile. So share this story with us. I think this is beautiful. Okay, I think this story also shows her humility because she had one brother that was born after her. So the mom and dad lost the 12. They prayed and asked for little Miriam, and they got her. And then after her, she had a little brother. And she had a great desire to see this brother. But when her parents had passed away, she went with her uncle on her father's side. And then her brother went on the mother's side with an aunt. And so they had been separated, and they never did get to see each other again. But she had this great desire to see him, and she was on her way to go see him. And then her boat that she was in became shipwrecked. He lived in Alexandria, and she ended up in Beirut. And mm, Lebanon. Pardon? That was Lebanon, right? Beirut, yes. Lebanon? Yes, okay. Beirut, Lebanon. And so there she stayed with the family for about six months. And during this day... Um, she actually went blind for a while, and she told Blessed Mother, she says, See, my mother, all the trouble I'm causing this house, I was never better cared for by my parents. Oh, if it would please you and your divine son, give me back my sight. And she wanted her sight back just so that they wouldn't care for her with such extravagance and love and kindness. And yes. so I thought that was a beautiful example of the humility and then it kind of leads into that um, that thought that you had about the little flower and the smiling virgin, because she had fallen during this time, and she had crushed some of the bones in her leg. And this actually caused um, gangrene to set in, and they thought that she was going to die. But this charity of these people that had got to know her over the six months, there was a mixture of a lot of Muslims, and there was also a lot of Christians who just adored her because she was so loving and kind and giving. And so when she broke this leg, um, she was laying there, and she saw the Blessed Mother smile at her. And mm-hmm. the Blessed Mother recommended three things to her, and that was obedience, charity, and confidence. They say that a perfume and light fill the room and all the Christian and Muslims that were in the room there by her side, they fell on their knees, giving thanks and proclaiming God's miracle through the Virgin. And that's something mm. I just think this saint is so beautiful, because here is a saint that loves Our Lady, and she drew all these people towards her. And the Muslims and the Christian, they both adore the Blessed Mother, which a lot of people, yes. I don't know if a lot of people are familiar with that, but the Muslims honor Mary as a great is the mother of a great prophet. So they look at Jesus as a prophet, but they actually honor her. And I think yes. I even read an article where a lot of them even visit Fatima. So I'm Yes, because hoping, uh, Muhammad's daughter was Fatima. Yes. Yes, so I'm hoping one day that through her intercession, because she also said, as St. Therese, she's going to work to the end of the world, and her great work is to draw this church as one. And so I just think that we are going to see more of her, and people are just going to fall in love with who she is, and um, I'm hoping for that unity. Oh, yes. This is a, this is a great 
um, I keep wanting to call her a saint, but she's a blessed right now. And I'm like, oh, she's got to become a saint soon because, um, uh, she's so extraordinary. And I think she, she is the one for this time when there's so much violence and struggle going on in the Middle East, uh, that she could be a uniting factor. And I know we're going to hit some of those points, um, on the second half of the program, but I want to get to another part of her devotion to Mary. And it has to do with the story how, um, well, her her uncle was bringing her up and um all girls at that time instead of getting educated they were being brought up to uh uh be married and so they had prearranged a marriage for her and um blessed mary of jesus crucified did not like this idea and at that time she was co- called miriam so if i interchange the words here you'll you'll follow me miriam um she did not want this at all because she wanted to be all for Jesus. So Tammy, would you would you tell us what happened here and about um you know the significance of the blessed mother during this period? Well, at this point, Miriam had already given her life to Jesus. That's who she loved and that's who she wanted for her spouse. And she prayed all night long in front of an icon to Mary for she had already given her heart to Jesus. And he was the only spouse that she wanted. So she heard Jesus tell her, I am with you. Follow the inspirations I shall give you. I will help you. And so that next morning, she had this great desire to cut off her hair. And she wrapped it in the jewels that they had given her, because the custom is, from where she was from, is they're given all these jewels. Well, she took all the jewels they had given her, and they wrap, she wrapped it all in this hair, and then she brought the hair out and presented it to her uncle to show that she was really desiring this chastity and this, um, this life for Jesus. So they were, they were and, furious about this. Yes, <laughs> they're messing up her, her plans. <laughs> yes, she was only 13 years old at this point in her life. And, they yeah, and didn't just, they call in the, the confessor and the bishop to try to talk her out of this decision? Yes, she had the support of nobody but Jesus. I mean, she relied solely on Jesus and Mary. And, you know, she was praying in front of the icon of Mary. It was Jesus that came to her and gave her the inspirations. But um, she w- she was really upset about this. And um, there was a servant that was in the house. And he saw what was going on, and he wanted her to confide in him. And he had actually suggested to her to become Muslim. And she even got more furious, and she says, I'm a daughter of the Roman Catholic Church. And um, so she was going to have nothing to do with that, and he slit her throat. And so at this point, when this happened, um, she lay there dead. As a matter of fact, later in her writing, she said she really was dead. Um, she yeah, she had it. a near-death experience. Um, in, in, I mean, the way she talks about it, and you compare those accounts today about near-death experience, that's what it was, because she saw the Holy Trinity. She saw her parents, but they said, but your book's not finished yet. So they sent her back, right? Yes, yes. And she willingly came back and um, lived this life. But while she was also there, I thought it was interesting, because the Blessed Mother had fed her this wonderful soup. And the Blessed Mother told her she'd have that soup again whenever her last few days that she would be alive, that she would get that soup at that point. But she, and Miriam, 
Yeah, she stayed in the state for, I think she said she was ministered by the Blessed Mother for a month. Yeah, and the Blessed Mother sewed up her neck, right? Yes. Yes. And this was later documented um, after she died. You know, they they anal- analyzed her neck and examined it, and they saw that, you know, two of the, uh, two of the, I can't remember what they're called, <laughs> cartilage or something. Two of the things are missing. But anyway, um, so that's documented, and they saw the scar. And so, but she, ca- Miriam called, it was this lady in blue, and later she realized it's it's the Blessed Mother, right? Yes. So now we're going to have to take a little bit of break, but but there is some guidance that the Blessed Mother gives Miriam at this time, and which leads into her mystical life. And so when we come back in just a few minutes, we're going to be um, getting into uh, all these mystical gifts of Blessed Mary of Jesus crucified. So stay tuned and be back in just a few minutes. Thank you.
listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you're currently listening to is a rebroadcast of Carmelite Conversations. Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations. We are talking about Blessed Mary of Jesus Crucified with Tammy Jutton. And we were just sharing about this vicious attack and then how the Blessed Mother comes in and takes care of Blessed Miriam, heals, um, sews up her neck and, and brings her to um, a state of health. So as we uh, get into this journey, I just kind of wanted to bring out, um, I'm, I'm reading this from this book. I'm going to tell you what book it is because I'm going to recommend everybody read it. It's called Miriam, the Little Arab, and it's by Father Amade Bruno. It's B-R-U-N-O-T. And it is an excellent book and probably the most thorough one that is translated into English anyway. So I highly recommend that. But from that book, um, it talks about what Mary told Blessed Miriam right after this um, vicious attack, um, outlining her life's program. And then I'm going to let our guest, Tammy, tell us about this journey. Um, but here's the life's program. It's, quote, you will never see your family again. You will go to France where you will become a religious you will be a child of St. Joseph before becoming a daughter of St. Teresa. You will receive the habit of Carmel in one house. You will make your profession in a second one, and you will die in a third at Bethlehem. So, all right, Tammy, tell us tell us what happens next after um, she is healed. Well, the first thing that I remember is she went to France, and while she was in France, she was still kind of, um, she was, I'm trying to think how to say this. She had lived this life of the laity, you know, but yet very dedicated to God. But it seemed like she really just wasn't quite ready to enter the convent yet. And so she was kind of stalling. And at one point while she was running, she was walking to church one day, she noticed this man with a child um, in his hand, and they were following her. And then later she came to realize that this was St. Joseph, and St. Joseph had actually told her that he was going to pursue her until she entered the convent. And so he was really trying to hurry her on and let her know, God is waiting, he's ready for you. (laughs) And so this was the, (laughs) the main part that I remember. Yeah, and there she entered the Sisters of St. Joseph of the Apparitions, which is there in Marseille, I don't know, Marseille, Marseilles. Okay, I always butcher these names, so uh, everyone forgive me and pray for me, all right? But anyway, so so there she enters. So that's part of the the prophecy. She becomes a daughter, uh, a child of St. Joseph first. And then um, then what happens to her uh, after her time there? Um, I'm not really sure, but I'm thinking that she went to India. Was it they sent her off to India after that? Well, was it Mangalore I, where she made her vows? I think it was Paul France, wasn't it, that she went to? And, and that's kind of where some of these mystical experiences started. Um, but let's, instead of getting caught up into those details, let's, let's talk about some of these mystical gifts. And, and let's start with one of those that she's most known for, and that is her great devotion to the Holy Spirit. Can you tell us about, um, her devotion to the Holy Spirit and how it played out in her life? Well, I know that she was one that, um, 
really wanted priests to say one Mass every month in dedication to the Holy Spirit, that he might live more fully in the Church. And so I thought this was a wonderful um, suggestion that she had for our priests. And I'm trying to think of some other ideas. Um, well, I have a quote here. Let me let me read this quote, and maybe you can explain it. She's uh, one of the quotes is: "The world and religious communities are seeking novelties in devotions, and they are neglecting true devotion to the Paraclete. That is why there is error and disunion, and why there is no peace or light. They do not invoke light as it should be invoked, and it is this light that gives knowledge of truth." It is neglected even in seminaries. Every person in the world that will invoke the Holy Spirit and have devotion to him will not die in air. Well, I think she's telling all of us that we need to really be asking the Holy Spirit to help us through our daily lives, be asking for his help for every minute of the day, so that we're living and we're seeing as God would see. And, you know, as you told about her earlier life, it, it is so evident that she was very confident in being led by the Holy Spirit to follow God's plan for her life. I mean, here she is, orphaned at three, given over to her uncle. Then, you know, at age 13, when she says no to this prearranged marriage, then she's off on her own. Can, I mean, can you imagine um, being 13 years old and being on your own? You know, having to provide for yourself. And so, you know, most people get messed up at that time, don't you think? Yes, it's a difficult age. But Blessed Miriam, she did not, you know, because of her deep prayer life. And so the Holy Spirit's just working through her at at this time in such a a predominant way. And um, I think that as she experienced, she experienced some of these locutions, which are our messages. Can you tell us about some of the first locutions that she had? Um, none of them are coming to mind. Let's see. I don't know if it's really, really considered a locution, but I know that she would love the Holy Father to the point that people would literally see him transfigured in her face. And the people that had actually seen photos of the Holy Father, which I think was Pope Pius IX, they would literally see her and say, oh, it's the Pope, because she prayed so fervently for him. But that's really not a locution. Right, but I I think... I think there was a story in in her early childhood, even um, about the little birds. Uh, There's a little story about giving the birds a bath. Do you remember that story? Yes, I love that little story. Um, She had a great love for cleanliness, and so she was bathing the little birds. And um, while she was doing this, she ended up, unfortunately, killing the bird. And um, she heard something, I guess that would be a locution. So she heard something say to her, which would be Jesus, Thus all things pass away. If you wish to give me your heart, I will remain with you always. And she realized... Boy, that seems to just... That echoes through her whole life, doesn't it? Yes, yes. And so she, at this point, gave... This was really early in her childhood that she gave her life to Jesus at that point. And she realized that this was the true eternal way and gift of him and that everything else here on this earth will pass away. And the only thing that's going to remain is Jesus 
you know, in God and his heavenly court in the end. And so that's what she made her goal in life. Well, I think it's so interesting that there at the very beginning, he's like, give me your heart. And then she experiences the same mystical grace that St. Teresa of Avila experienced, which was that transverberation of the heart, which is, you know, just the grace of having um, your heart uh, pierced by a a dart from the angels. And, you know, I I think this is um, described as since the heart, is regarded as the seat of affections and emotions, emotions, it seems appropriate that the heart would figure in the mystical life of the saints. And because his saints, it's, it's, it's God himself who tells the saints that he wishes to reside in our heart. And that's why when we, when Carmelites in particular, we're, we're to go within and, and think of Jesus present, present there in our heart and in our soul. Um, because God wants to capture our hearts and he wants to have our love. And so, uh, when, when God is saying to her, you know, give me your heart, uh, I, I think she never veered from that. I think from that point on, she was there. And, and because of her great faithfulness, her fidelity, her great humility, which you pointed out, her great charity. There were all kinds of mystical, uh, extraordinary gifts given to her. And um, so could you share with us maybe uh, a, a couple of these um, there besides this transverberation of the heart? And of course, some of the locutions, uh, she had plenty of those. Um, share with us a, a few of the other mystical graces that she had. One of my favorite ones when I was reading about her life was her gift of levitation. And I think there's a handful of um, saints that I know about that have had this, but her love for God was so great that they would say that she would come out of the church and she'd be found in the top of the trees and she'd be singing. And one of the things that one of the nuns found her singing one day was love, love, love. And she'd be up there for three or four hours in this great ecstasy of love for God and proclaiming, you know, praises to him over this, the beautiful nature that he'd given, um, the holy mass that she had just received. And then at one point, the mother prioress, she had asked her to come down under obedience from the top of that tree. And she would listen and she would come down, but she was so radiant. They said that her face was just glowing. And she had such a perfect modesty. And I just thought that that's so beautiful because that just shows her great love for God that she had, that he would give her that gift that would raise her so high, not just, you know, five feet off the ground, but way to the top of the trees. (laughs) Yeah, on those little teeny branches that shouldn't have borne her weight. (laughs) Yes. And, you know, that seems so extraordinary. And and you think, oh, I can't believe that. But, you know, there were eyewitnesses to that who, who, you know, gave affidavits uh, and testimony about that. And I think there's probably only one other saint that I know of that really went that high, and that was St. Joseph Cupertino. Um, I mean, others like Teresa Valla, she did. She also levitated. I had occasion of, of that. But um, here we have this uh, over and over. And, and she'd even leave her sandals <laughs> there at the top of the tree. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, and, and of course, she, um, because of this great love, she had ecstasies where she was so caught up in God and the love. And, you know, she would speak about this great love. Um, but there's something else here that um, she had that um, it was she called her rose 
thorns or her roses. Um, can you tell us what she was alluding to when she talked about her roses? This was the gift of the stigmata, and she greatly desired that God wouldn't let other people know that she had this gift. And so the roses were the um, bleeding wounds, and she would ask the Lord to please close those roses up. She'll accept the thorns, but she didn't want the roses. <laughs> and yeah, and this, she didn't even know what they were, did she? No, no. And they say that this is, um, that God confers this gift as a recompense of perfect love or as a supreme stimulant to the consummation of love. And mm. this ha- this would occur to her, happen to her when she was praying because she had such a great love for sinners. And um, that's what I understood to be those roses and the thorns. Yes, and it was so amazing that, that you know, she was not educated. She couldn't read very well. Um, she, they When she first came into Carmel, because after she was with the Sisters of, of St. Joseph, she then was led, uh, she was rejected by them after the novitiate, and she was led by the prioress or one of the leaders there in, in that first um place, that first convent, she was led then to uh, the Carmelites, the Discalced Carmelites, and there she becomes a daughter of Teresa. So the the prophecy given her through the Blessed Mother um, does come true in every respect, by the way, and you can read it in the book, you know, if you want the details, but uh, it's just amazing that, you know, here she is, she's uneducated, she could barely read, um, you know, her her main language um, was Arabic and Yet she tried to learn some French, and then she'd mix them up. <laughs> and so she doesn't even know what these mystical happenings are. So she's very simple soul and, and very candid. And, and this is just, you know, more of her humility and virtue, is it not? Yes. I found um, there was a part from the book that talked, to, to go back to the stigmata for a second, I okay. thought this was really beautiful because it was really kind of one of the visions during this stigmata and her love for sinners. They they wrote in the book that she was praying in the chapel one evening when in the tabernacle she saw Jesus, who appeared to her with five wounds and the crown of thorns. It seemed to her, or it seemed to her, she saw coals of wrath in his hands. She heard Jesus say to his mother prostrate at his feet. Oh, how my father is offended. The little postulant, who was 20 at the time, sprang towards Jesus, and she put her hand on the wound of his heart, and she exclaimed, My God, give me, please, all these sufferings, but have mercy on these sinners. Coming out of the ecstasy, she saw her hand covered with the blood, and she experienced the pain in her left side. The latter would bleed every Friday. And so, again, it just shows her charity and her love for the sinners. She wanted to help just as Jesus came to save all of us. She wanted to participate mm-hmm. in helping that suffering. So I just thought that was beautiful, and I wanted to share that. Well, she but now you were to, talking um, like, Go ahead. Oh, and so then you were talking more about the prophecies again that she had. And there was one example where she was in the barracks. Um, or not, she wasn't in the barracks, but she had wrote to Pope Pius IX in 1888 that the barracks near the Vatican had been mined. And oh. um, they kind of ignored her for a while, and they didn't heed her warning. And she sent another letter, and they, with her persistence, they finally 
went to where she was saying these bombs were, and they dug them up before they went off. And so this was well, there one was her- one that did go off, though. I remember it got the musicians. <laughs> so I felt bad for the musicians because I was a musician. But um, so they, you know, they heard her and they did not pay attention to her. So one did go off and then she told him again. And so the second time they believed her and indeed they found him. Right. Yes. Yes, that is correct. I'm sorry. They did. Um, one uh, bomb did go off and get the musicians. And then they finally listened to what she was saying. But, you know, so this is a, you know, confirmation of this gift of prophecy that she had and, um, uh, you know, how she wanted to help. And so she would, you know, be brave enough to just write the Pope, you know, get permission and and write the Pope because uh, I'm sure there were other matters that she also helped out in. But, uh, you know, it's so interesting how much of Jesus's life she got to participate in. And another one that is really a little bit of challenging and we can't go into it very deep was was how she battled evil and, and the demons. Can you give us just a little hint of what happened there? Oh, my goodness. This is the only saint I've ever read um, or heard of this gift being given, but it's so beautifully portrayed because the Lord allowed her to be possessed for, um, I think it was 40 days. But during this possession, God did not allow the devil to affect her purity at all. So this was one area that was forbidden. And it shows the authority that God has over the devil, which I think is so much needed today in our time. But what's so beautiful is to watch the Blessed Miriam respond um, during the suffering that she was undergoing. I mean, the devil was right there possessing her, and so she was so close to evil, and yet she would respond with so many comments of hope and um, offering up her sufferings. And some of the ones that really um, affected me when I was reading her was, One of the ways that she would respond, the people would hear her actually saying out loud during this this possession is, I unite myself to Jesus when he's carrying his cross in the streets of Jerusalem. May you be blessed, my God. And so, you know, the devil would have hold of her, and she would say that, and then she'd continue, and she said, I unite my voice with that of Jesus in the Garden of Olives. May you be blessed, my God. I unite my sufferings to those of Jesus, betrayed by Judas. May you be blessed, my God. And I unite myself Mm. to Jesus, falling under the weight of the cross. May you be blessed, my God. And so that 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 can help us. When when we're tempted, when we're struggling, um, we can also imitate that prayer and bring that prayer and make it our prayer. Yes, yes. I agree with that. And then she also would respond with, um, I was looking for one where she was really responding with words of hope. Um, She was actually like a victim soul um, fighting demons. So I asked a Carmelite priest about this. Is this possible that God would allow a soul to be possessed to fight it as a victim soul on behalf of others who are possessed, you know, to, to claim the victory for them as Jesus did. And, you know, he said very well might be. And I was reading a book called Mary crushes the serpent. And um, it, I'm reading a quote 
from it. It says, The Blessed Virgin has selected a little army of noble souls who are prepared to suffer everything and to offer themselves freely to God as a holocaust and atonement for souls. She has selected them to fight directly against the demons. They will break the might of Lucifer's legions upon earth and will deprive him of at least a part of the victims he already counts as his own. So I'm like, oh boy, that fits the bill here with Blessed Mary of Jesus Crucified, don't you think? Oh, definitely. Here's one example. They were In the book, they were saying that Satan attempted to choke her by making her swallow enormous pins and pieces of glass. Blessed Mary of Jesus crucified found a moment of peace, and she proclaimed, To suffer to the end of the world, O my God, if it is your will, I desire to only please you. Jesus, make me accomplish your will. And so that's just her confidence in him. It just comes out so striking. And then it goes on to say, At each attack, the little Arab said, Always more suffering for you, Jesus. Satan kept trying to keep her, was trying to get her to say, I am suffering, and he never did succeed, and then she would sigh and say, I weep, O oh Jesus, for not suffering enough for you. I mean, oh here are these attacks, <laughs> and she's saying that, you know, she should be suffering even more for Jesus. But to me, what was so beautiful in all of this was at the very end when God... um sent the angels to possess her body again, the sisters actually saw her transfigured into Jesus once the possession was over, and they saw him, and they all dropped to their knees in astonishment, and then Jesus allowed the angels to stay with her for, I think it was four days, and she would literally tell the sisters what they needed to hear to help the order, and I just thought that was so beautiful to see the transfiguration... I think we have to encourage our, our listeners to, to get that book to read about her, um, because this is, uh, extraordinary to say the least. And, um, one that I haven't heard associated, um, with our other Carmelite saints so much, although we know Saint Teresa of Avila, um, you know, had many battles with, with the devil, um, and always encouraged us to throw holy water around, okay? So we want us to remember that. But uh, this this life of Blessed Miriam is is extraordinary. And, you know, we could go on and on, couldn't we? Yes. Um, but we only have a few minutes left. And I, I would really like, Tammy, if you could tell us how, what what is it about Blessed Miriam? What's her influence for today? What, we can, what can we learn for her, from her that can apply to our lives right now? What would you say? Well, I would say that she's a beautiful example of humility. I think that the world has become very prideful and wanting to live their life what they want rather than really, you know, live in the life that Jesus wants. So I think her example of humility and surrendering to His will and trying to offer up sufferings to practice our virtues so that we might bring more people to Jesus. And I think also she affirms the reality of the supernatural world and how by turning to God, um, we too can be victorious in Christ Jesus. And, you know, by our love for God and love of neighbor through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that we can enrich our lives and the lives of people around us. So, um, Blessed Mary will, will teach a lot 
uh, about how to be devoted to the Holy Spirit and follow his light. And, of course, in this day and age when there's so much violence, um, we want peace. And so bringing peace into our own hearts first is, is so important. So uh, I think she was a great one to show us how to overcome obstacles and adversities in our life by relying on God and finding peace within your soul. So are there any other closing thoughts that you want to add, Tammy? Because we're quickly running out of time. Well, I do hope that people go out and learn more about this um, blessed of the church and that they try to live some of the ways that she did through um, more prayer, through more penance, through fasting. That was one thing that we didn't really mention, but she was she's been fasting since the age of five. And you see in the church, you know, a lot of people don't emphasize this anymore. But fasting is so important to give us strength to follow God's will, to be attuned to God, and to give us the strength that we need to live this holy life. Because to me, this is where we become more beautiful. The more we can live like Christ, the more beauty that shines forth through us, and the more beautiful this world becomes. And it's something that I think that the world could really benefit from. Well, Tammy, I am so grateful that you were able to call in tonight and share your knowledge of Blessed Mary of Jesus Crucified with us. I hope that's really piqued the interest of our listeners, uh, that there's such an extraordinary person out there that is a great intercessor for us right now uh, who can lead us into a deeper um, love of God and neighbor. And on this feast day of St. Teresa, um, the transverberation of her heart, which is all about loving God. Isn't it wonderful how we, we keep re-emphasizing that tonight? And um, so I want to thank you again, Tammy, for joining us. I hope you'll come back on Carmelite Conversations. And um, I want to close with this one prayer, but I do rem- want to remind our listeners that September 1st is the feast day for St. Teresa Margaret Reddy of the Sacred Heart. And we did a, like a four or five part series on her. It's in the archives on radiomaria.us that you can go look at. Um, but remember her on September 1st and um, ask her intercession too. And, and again, about the heart, all about love. So let's um, finish with a prayer that Blessed Mary of Jesus crucified, prayed in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Source of peace and light, come and enlighten me. I am hungry, come and feed me. I am thirsty, come and quench my thirst. I am blind, come and give me light. I am poor, come and enrich me. I am ignorant, come and instruct me. Holy Spirit, I abandon myself to you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Again, thank you, Tammy, and thank you, listeners. We hope you'll join us again for Carmelite Conversations. Good thank night. Thank you, Francis. Good night. Listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you just heard was a rebroadcast of Carmelite Conversations.